Premier Christian Newscast. of the East African nation of Rwanda has rarely drawn very much attention from the world's evangelicals. But Kigali was the host of a very significant conference last month, which will likely shape the future of the world's third largest Christian denomination, the Anglican Communion. Hundreds of conservative and evangelical delegates from across the world met in Kigali under the banner of GAFCON, the Global Anglican Future Conference. And there, they put a bomb under long-standing Anglican structures by declaring that they would no longer accept Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, and the closest thing Anglicanism has to a Pope as their leader. Fired up by fury at how the Mother Church of Anglicanism, the Church of England which Welby leads, has decided to bless same-sex unions, Gafcon has begun a struggle for control, and in some ways a struggle for the soul, of the Anglican Communion. I'm Tim Wyatt and you're listening to the Premier Christian Newscast. Joining me this week to discuss what happened in Kigali and why it matters are Conservative Anglican activist Susie Leaf, Church of England vicar Rico Tice, and Evangelical Church historian Andrew Atherston. Well, hello all, and thanks so much uh, for joining us on the show. Um, Could I start by asking you each to uh, introduce yourself? Um, Rico, why don't you go first? Uh, Yeah, I'm Rico Tice. I've been on the staff at All Souls Langham Place for 29 years, and I've um, been involved with Christianity Explored, which is a study in Mark's Gospel, um, which enables people to investigate the faith. Brilliant. Um, And Susie, who are you? Yeah, my name's Susie Leaf. I'm the director of Anglican Futures, um, and yeah, that's that's what I am, I guess. And what is Anglican Futures for those who haven't heard of it? So Anglican Futures, yes, so Anglican Futures is a charity uh, that offers pastoral and practical support to faithful Anglicans uh, in the UK and beyond. Brilliant. Um, and Andrew, you've been on the show before, but do you want to introduce yourself one more time? It's Andrew Atherston. I'm uh, teaching at Wycliffe Hall in Oxford, uh, so mostly preparing men and women for ordained ministry in the Church of England and other Anglican groups. Excellent. Well, I'm really great grateful for you all joining us on the show. I think it's a really excellent panel to discuss the, the recent GAFCON conference in Kigali in Rwanda. Um, before we just launch into that, for those people listening who maybe have never heard of GAFCON before, would anyone like to give us a kind of elevator pitch for what GAFCON is as a movement? Uh, Susie, why don't I go to you for that one? I guess it's what it says on the tin, um, a global Anglican uh, futures conference. So, um, it is a gathering of, I guess, this time there were about uh, 1,200 people there, bishops, laity, clergy, um, from I think there were over 50 countries represented, um, a wonderful opportunity to worship um, with brothers and sisters from, from all over the world and consider how we can do mission together effectively as Anglicans. And Rico, you you were there in Kigali, so it's it was if I'm right, it was a mixture of 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 people from kind of official mainstream whatever language you want to use Anglican churches like you are in the CV, but also a, a group of of people from kind of realigned breakaway again. The language can be contentious. Churches, uh, is that right? Kind of joining together and uniting in their kind of common cause for the gospel. Yes, and I think I'd say it was a group of people who 
define themselves by orthodoxy in terms of commitment to the principles of scripture, particularly around the authority of scripture around human sexuality. I think that was, you know, for me, that the reason I've gone there is I was looking for Anglicans that shared Article 6 of the 39 Articles, the authority of scripture. Hmm. And Andrew, you've kind of been watching these things from afar as a kind of church historian, a kind of keen eye on these things. Um, how significant in your in your view are gatherings like like that at Kigali? Is it just a big kind of jamboree or do these things actually, do you think they have import in kind of global Anglican politics? They're significant in, in two main ways. Uh, one is the public statements uh, which are emerging from these gatherings, like the Kigali commitments, uh, which is a, a thought through... Uh, number of important statements about the future of Anglicanism. Um, but the, the second is the building of networks and relationships. So uh, folk gathered there from different provinces all around the world, being able to meet face-to-face um, and sharing those common relationships. That's uh, another key reason for, for meeting. And uh, those relationships are fluctuating and changing around the Anglican communion all the time. Um, but it's when you put people in a room together. I was watching online from Oxford, sadly not able to be there um, at my desk here. But the sense of common cause and gospel joy, uh, which was emanating from that conference room, was very palpable. It all happened. And obviously, it's been long, long planned, many years in the planning. But is it fair to say it, the, the gathering of Gali was very much happening in the wake of or under the shadow of the decision of the Church of England's General Synod just a few months earlier to to bless for the first time uh, gay partnerships, gay relationships, civil partnerships. Did that kind of hang over it in your view, Susie? Yes, I think there had had to be quite a big change to the programme. I think it it came as a huge shock to many in the communion that the Mother Church would make such a decision. I think there was a palpable sense of grief. I think it's hard to... Hard really to explain how devastated people are by the decision uh, of the College of Bishops of of the Church of England and uh, by the decisions of um, the General Synod. I think people, yeah, just there was a sense of disbelief and grief. What was your what was your feeling, Rico, when you were there? How did the English contingent feel and how was it received by by those from elsewhere in the country, in the world? Well, it was like no other conference I'd been at. Um, because of what Susie has said, um, because there was a a stepping away from Canterbury. But I think the context is, Andrew would know much more than this than me, is a 25-year journey since um, 1998 and the the 110 Lambeth commitment there to endorse what the Bible says about sexuality, which is the only place for sex is between a man and a woman within marriage. So so it was a 25-year journey, at which point, after all those years, they said, with the, the, the same-sex blessings being the catalyst, saying, we are now breaking communion with you to the Mother Church. And, you know, some people will say, well, this was always going to happen because it, the Anglican Church was a bit colonial. You know, that's not at all the case. There's huge gratitude for the planting of the Anglican Church around the world. There was a a huge affection for the mother church because of what was taught and then absolute devastation that they have not remained faithful to the Bible that they gave them. (laughs) I mean, it just so. So on the one hand, devastation and and tears, but on the other hand, wonderful to be with other Anglicans 
who were orthodox and also the majority. So the the percentage that kept on being quoted of practicing Anglicans around the world was this is 85% of the Anglican communion that are here in Kigali affirming that scripture has authority in the area of human relationships, human sexuality. So I was going to say, I think it was also significant that um, the majority of the primates uh, represented by the Global South Fellowship of Anglicans um, were also there. And so I think that gave a, an extra weight to the sense that actually this is the the majority of global Anglicans gathering together um, and and underlining the fact that we cannot walk together. Um, whatever is said um, from Lambeth, um, people are walking in different directions and uh, that has been noted. Because in many ways, the Kigali conference was kind of a parallel to last year's Lambeth conference, which is the kind of official once every 10 year gathering where every Anglican bishop is invited to come to be hosted by the Archbishop of Canterbury in, in, in England. And that was also in, in August last year, that was kind of riven by disagreement and deep upset on both sides over the issue of sexuality Um and yet it seems then Justin Welby was able to kind of build a fragile, tenuous peace by kind of re- restating that, you know, there are deeply held views on both sides and can we agree to disagree? Whereas it feels like here in, in Kigali, there was no sense whatsoever of there being any space for, for that kind of walking together, like you said, Susie. I think Lambeth, I think we all know um, that the power held by uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury for the Lambeth Conference, I think, was part of the reason uh, why um, GAFCON and the Global South have, have declared the um, all the instruments of communion uh, broken. Um, there's four instruments of communion that's supposed to keep the Anglican Church together. You've mentioned um, the Lambeth Conference, the Archbishop of, Can- of Canterbury himself, uh, the Anglican Consultative Council and the Primates Meetings. And I think there was a real sense that uh, people felt betrayed by the Lambeth Conference, um, that the Global South Fellowship of Anglicans had gone there and had been ignored. And I think they felt that very keenly. I mean, we should explain for people who aren't so familiar with the, with the Anglican Communion. It's, it's a kind of network of these interdependent, autonomous, but connected churches. And as you say, Susie, they have historically been kind of bound together by these four things. The, the person of the Archbishop of Canterbury, who's the, the first among equals, uh, the, the Lambeth Conference, which is every 10 years all the bishops gather, the primates meeting, which is just the, the head archbishops of each church who gather regularly, and then the Anglican Consultative Council. Um, Andrew, you were at the most recent Anglican Consultative Council, also in, in Africa, in, in Ghana, just a few weeks or months earlier. H- how did that compare to what you've seen from Kigali? What, what was the flavour like there? And, and do you think uh, there was much sympathy at the ACC for, for the point of view coming out of Kigali? So the Anglican Consultative Council is a much smaller gathering. Uh, There are two or three representatives from every province around the globe. So uh, there maybe are 110 delegates um, at the ACC, and it meets every three years, uh, started in the 1970s. Um, So most of the provinces were there. That would be a a difference with Kigali. Um, There were um, maybe 39 provinces represented in, in Ghana, uh, Nigeria and Uganda and Rwanda, which are three very large provinces, have declined to send delegates to the, the last two meetings. Um, it, it was a, uh, a meeting of um, great 
um, engagement and uh, pleasurable relationships and finding new friends from uh, around the Anglican world. Uh, we, we talked quite a lot about church planting um, and safe churches and environmental concerns around the Anglican Communion. Uh, what we weren't allowed to talk about um, at the, the ACC were any questions to do with the doctrine of marriage or sexuality. Uh, that was off the table from the beginning uh, because the organisers know if that's if that's discussed, then the meeting falls apart. Um, so it was it was held together. It was a very um, happy eight days, but it was a very tentative uh, sort of piece that was being held. Um, and uh, m- many of the, the Global South friends were there. Um, and then we're also in Kigali, um, as you say, a, a few weeks later. Now, the question now is what sorts of structures, what sorts of Anglican relations do we expect going forward o- over the next 10 years? What is going to come out of this mess? Uh, what's the new thing that's going to be born? Hmm. Because as you say, some, someone mentioned earlier, there's a kind of communique, a, a document that's produced out of the Kigali conference, which I think is called the Kigali Commitments. And and the kind of headline there is is a is a quite explicit rejection of of this idea of of the Archbishop of Canterbury always being the first among equals, um, uh, uh, suggesting that you know the Church of England, led by by Justin Welby, has walked away from from what they would see as as kind of gospel biblical orthodoxy, and therefore there needs to be some kind of new structures. Um, uh, Rico, what was the kind of discussions around that like in Kigali? Was there was there kind of sadness about having to make that step, or were people quite excited about what might come next? No, I think there was a profound sadness and yet a profound identity of what it really means to be Anglican. So it's very interesting this. The the, the sense was was that Lambeth, which is the home of Anglicanism, um, uh, you know, Canterbury, have walked away from what it means to be Anglican. But so but we are not going to lose what it means to be Anglican. But in order to retain that identity, we have to uh, bar the mother church from coming. Otherwise, we'll be a different religion. So it was it, again. It's a twenty-five year journey, but um, you know it was that statement of if you are not going to repent of these ideas that allow sex outside marriage between a man and a woman, then we have to leave you because you're following a different religion. And I think that was what was being said again and again with great sadness. The Holy Spirit will depart. Uh, we we cannot do it. But please repent and come back. But if there was one word that summed up what happened in Kigali, it is the word repentance. There is a call for repentance from the Archbishop of Canterbury um, before the authority of Scripture. And actually, ultimately, not even the authority of Scripture, before the Lordship of Jesus. So it is a different Jesus that is being discussed. If you're not talking about Jesus being Lord of my body and commanding that the only two ways of life for a Christian are either celibacy or sex within marriage a monogamous marriage, which is a lifelong commitment. That's that is what it means to be Christian. And indeed, what's interesting is that safeguarding. If you want to safeguard a church, that's how you safeguard it. You say these are the only two places for marriage, for 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 sex. So, so um, yeah, that's what it was, and it was just crystal clear from speaker after speaker. And Susie, do you hold any serious hope? that this might be plausible, that, that Justin Welby might agree to kind of hand over to some other figure to step in as as the kind of de facto leader of the Anglican Communion? Yeah, I think it's 
I think it's very difficult. I think that the language that was being used um, both by the Global South and by GAFCON was a language of resetting the Anglican communion. Uh, there wasn't a sense that they were walking away. It was a sense of saying that uh, this is what the Anglican communion should be. Um, and uh, what we need to do is deal with the ecclesial deficit, that sort of gap that's been created, as uh, for, as Rico says, over the last 25 years or more, um, churches have have taken the autonomous decision to, to walk away um, from uh, the traditional teaching of the of the Christian faith. Um, is it possible? Um, I think we've seen some some slightly um, well. Justin Welby himself said that he was that he held um, the sense of being the um, Archbishop of Canterbury and leading the Anglican Communion lightly, uh, but then he continues to say that uh, the only way things can get changed is if the um, formal instruments of communion um, make that decision. Well, uh, that would be a little bit like Turkey's voting for Christmas. Um, the Archbishop of Canterbury would have to say, actually, I, I don't want the job. Um, the primates uh, would have to gather uh, and he can he can choose who he invites to the primates meetings he can choose who he invites to the Lambeth conference and what we've seen in in previous primates meetings and previous Lambeth conferences is um, that what the primates say and what the um, the bishops say isn't of interest to the Archbishop of Canterbury I mean we've seen him walk out of one meeting and into a press conference and say something completely different to that which the primates have said in the meeting. Uh, we saw a similar thing at Lambeth this year. So, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a little ironic uh, to say that he holds it lightly. Um, but I think it's going to happen. I think that's the point. Um, this wasn't the Gafcon and the Global South saying, um, please, sir, can, you, can we change things a little bit? This was a complete rejection of the instruments of communion uh, in order to safeguard the future of the Anglican Church worldwide. Uh, so I, I think the way that Lambeth kind of brushed it off um, did have a touch of the, the post-colonial arrogance um, that we've seen before. Do you agree with that, Andrew? Uh, Susie's certainly right that it's, it's going to happen. Uh, there's an inevitability to that, that the, the the force of momentum for a restructuring and a resetting of of the communion um, is inevitable. And I think even those within the old structures um, recognise that. I mean, the, the emergency is is so vast now um, that, that those forces are unstoppable. The question is, um, wh- what is that new thing going to look like? Um, so I, I think Justin Welby is sincere in saying um, he doesn't hold these positions tightly. He himself only has two more years in the job, at the most. You know, he, so he's already in the end game of his time as Archbishop. It's really about who's who's the next person going to be and what will the shape of that role be over the next generation. The Anglican Consultative Council has uh, a piece of work um, at the moment um, being led by IASCUFO, one of those great Anglican acronyms, um, the uh, uh, the Inter-Anglican Standing Commission on Unity, Faith and Order. And they have an emergency project over the next 12 months. It aims to report by, by Easter 2024, before the Global South Assembly in Cairo, which is at the end of May 2024, which will be a really significant event. Um, and But this, this report group from the old structures is going to bring um, practical proposals for new structures 
uh, within that uh, that twelve month period. Um, so uh, who who knows what what that might look like? Um, and uh, you know, it might be a damp squib <laughs> that doesn't get enough purchase, but it might come up with some something realistic that provinces around the world can can get on board with. Susie's right though; something will change. What will that thing be? Premier Christian Newscast. Premier Christian Newscast. Why do you think that? I mean, what interests me on this angle is, is that there is already kind of churches in part of the GAFCON movement, most notably the ACNA. In, in North America, which have already walked away from the kind of Canterbury recognized Anglican churches in their in their area of the world to start something new. Why is that not an option for for churches in the global south who are who are clearly very, very upset about what, you know, England and Scotland and Wales and Canada are doing? Why, why is it not an option for them just to walk away, take their ball and go and play elsewhere, do you think? That, that is an option. Um, that might happen. Um, I think that would be a disaster if it happened, because it would mean a breaking of relationship with those of us in the global north who want to be connected with the global south. You know, there, there, there is there is benefit in some form of trying to keep global relationships um, alive. Um, so we need connections between Uganda and England. What that might look like, you know, that could take lots of different forms, um, but but that those in the global north need to be invited into continuing those relationships in some form, uh, whether that be inside or outside the Church of England. But it'd be a really sad thing if uh, Christians around the world just stopped talking to each other. Susie. And I think that's what we see, don't we? The offer of the global south, um, the Cairo Covenant. Um, so the Global South Fellowship of Anglicans started off as a geographical movement um, as part of the Anglican Communion, so those within the Global South majority churches could meet and discuss the things which were of importance to them, uh, which they felt got ignored to some extent at, at the global meetings. Um, that's now changed, and the way in which they're now defining themselves is by orthodoxy. So it's a case of, of, of provinces and dioceses throughout the world being invited uh, to join um, the Global South Fellowship of Anglicans. So it will no longer be a geographical concept. So yes, Andrew, absolutely, that they are looking to um, the Global North and saying, you know, if you are Orthodox, come and join us, be part of this. And again, they're not walking away. They're, 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 they're very clear. The, the historic doctrine of the Anglican Communion is what they are stating. Um, their point is, is that it's others who've walked away. Um and all this talk of walking together um, or not dividing the body of Christ. Um, I think it was the Archbishop of Kenya who at the Anglican um, Consultative Council pointed out that, you know, a body can't be in two places at once. And if the if the body is in two places at once, it's because it's been dismembered. Um, <laughs> it was quite a graphic picture. Um, and I think that was that was that's their concern. And they are sort of raising the banner, both GAFCON and the Global South, raising the banner and saying, come and join us, Re repent and let's let's be together. And, and Riku, there are a growing number of C of E churches here in England who are aligning themselves quite openly with the GAFCON movement, aren't there? I mean, there are churches in, 
in London and elsewhere who are asking for kind of GAFCON overseas bishops to provide some kind of level of oversight because they no longer have confidence in in the local bishops here after the the gay blessings. Is that is that a, a positive sign? Do you think? Well, I, I think I think it's it's rather akin to use another analogy of thinking that there are ten of you facing a hundred men and you're feeling totally outnumbered, and then you look behind you and find that actually you've got 10,000 men behind you. That's what happened in Kigali, because, I mean, I think particularly the new church in Wales with their new bishop, um, I think they feel battered and outnumbered in Wales and terribly bullied by the church in uh, the Anglican Church in Wales, the Church of Wales. But actually, watching that group um, that, that were there just grow and grow in confidence, um, Susie's um, vicar, Phil de Greywater, has been very involved with encouraging that little group. So what happens is just just watching them through the week suddenly go, we are world Anglicans. The the um, Church of Wales that is bullying us so badly are actually tiny in comparison to the 10,000 we've got behind us. Indeed, the you know 85% of the world's Anglicans. So it's all about confidence and actually knowing you're in the majority because you're holding to, to orthodoxy. So I think it's it's I came away going, I'm an Anglican for the rest of my life. I'm a world Anglican. Uh, the Church of England may be stepping away from the faith, but I'm not going to step away from uh, the faith that, that where I'm. You know, I made vows in 1994 in St. Paul's Cathedral. I'm going to hold to those vows. I'm just very sad that the Bishop of London uh, will not hold to her vows. But but the, we're, we're keeping our vows. And and I think there's just a tremendous sense of then having a worldwide sense of belonging and encouragement to do that. Likewise, with Andrew, uh, um, the Wycliffe graduates in three years time that he's got there, I, I, I don't know how they're going to be able to kneel before some of the bishops um, to affirm to, to, you know, in terms of giving their loyalty to those bishops in conscience. I couldn't do that because those bishops are now officially refusing to submit to scripture. But that doesn't mean that they can't be a world Anglican. It's a great denomination with a great history, and we're going to hold it. And, you know, we we need them hugely. We're looking to the Southern Hemisphere um, for leadership, but actually they need us too. There are some massive relationships. Um, I think of Christian Explored I'm involved with. You know, I, I, it's being used in, in, in just about every one of the... Uh, uh, denominations that that, that, that that were there, um, the, the different parts of the denomination. So, you know, those are huge relationships that I'm not giving up and they're not giving up. Um, well, let's ask Andrew, you, you're teaching evangelical students, people bringing themselves forward for ministry in the Church of England. How how Are you sensing any change among that as a result of this? Do, do people there, are they aware of GAFCON? Are they building those relationships overseas that you're aware of? Uh, certainly aware of GAFCON and the Global South and wanting to be Global Christians, um, world Christians, not just in little England, um, thinking about local concerns, um, but a, a tremendous sense of uh, bewilderment and and grief. I think those are the overwhelming um, moods at the moment of um, young people um, coming forward with a great sense of call from God to be pastors and Bible teachers in the local church um, and perhaps converted through the Church of England, pastored in the Church of England, um, for, for for some years, thinking this this is the church uh, for a lifetime of ministry, and now it's as if uh, the rug has been pulled from under their feet, just at this really crucial point of standing up and making public promises. 
um, and thinking, well, by the grace of God, there might be 40 years of, of public ministry ahead of them. Um, all of those things are now in the melting pot. Um, and what, what's going to happen over the next um, five years in the Church of England uh, with hundreds of, of evangelical clergy already ordained, uh, pastoring evangelical congregations, um, w- w- what is, what is going to happen to them uh, and their future? Lots of unknowns. So grief and bewilderment are common feelings. Hmm. Well, Susie, you're you're the other side of the fence, as it were. You're, you've already kind of taken the bold step and left the Church of England. You worship at a church which is an Anglican, but is not part of the Church of England. Could you tell us a little bit about how that came to happen and, and what's your perspective as someone kind of looking looking back at the, the Church of England, people like Andrew who and Rico who are still still just about within within the confines? Yeah, I, I mean, I think this is a these 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 movements are um, as as Andrew says, you know, I think there's going to be a sort of five, ten year period over which these things work themselves out. And of course, it's not just ordinands, it's not just clergy, it's lay people like myself. And um, certainly with Anglican Futures, we have a lot of contact with people, lay people, clergy um, who are grieving, bereaved and and devastated and saying, what can we do? And so GAFCON has provided the Anglican network in Europe, which has it's which is a bit like a proto-province, has two dioceses, the Anglican Mission in England, the Anglican Convocation in Europe. And that will that those structures allow churches um, to be uh, truly Anglican, recognized as global Anglicans um, within uh, the global Anglican uh, communion um, and what's it like it, it it's it's gre- grievous our, our vicar uh, and and many of our church decided that um, it was it wasn't the same-sex marriage issue at all for us it was the decision of the College of Bishops um, to uh, repurpose the baptism the sacrament of baptism uh, to mark um, transgender transition. Uh, that was the the kind of breaking point um, for us. Um, And that was a very sad day. Uh, But what's it like the other side? Well, we have a a glorious, uh, muddled, messy church meeting every Sunday. Um, I think we're on our fifth venue now. We've learned that buildings uh, matter to the point of view which they're useful. Um, They don't matter as much as uh, we thought they did. Uh, We're reaching a, a far wider uh, group of people than we were ever reaching uh, before. We're seeing people becoming Christians, um, and it's just wonderful. Um, our, our vicar spoke of um, uh, the the spiritual freedom that was found from stepping outside, but that's not to say it's an easy decision. And um, one of the things Anglican Futures offers is is time for people to think through uh, whether that's the right way forward for them. Um, or not. And I, there'll be faithful people in the Church of England. Uh, we still see faithful people in the Church in Wales, Scottish Episcopal Church. Uh, but the most important thing is that these these global relationships actually help us all uh, stay together, uh, recognising one another as brothers and sisters. Um, consciences uh, will kick in at different times, I think. All right, we're running out of time. But one last question for each of you. Um how hopeful do you feel about the future of the Church of England and the future of the Anglican Communion? Do you feel like this is a, a bump in the road and, and the church will come out stronger on the side? Or is this basically the beginning of some more formal formal schism? Uh, Rico, what, what's your take on that one? 
Well, I think if you don't stay faithful, the Holy Spirit departs and then no one gets converted. And I think that's what the leaders of um, at Gafcon understand very profoundly. So I think that um, unless and I, you know, the bishops have got an opportunity. They're meeting the next couple of days um, to to row back on this decision about same sex blessings. But if they don't do that, then I can assure them there will be a very official separation because people realise that the Holy Spirit departing means the end of the church. And God will remove his lampstand if you're not faithful. So it couldn't be more serious. But so I think it will happen unless um, the bishop and the archbishop repents. Andrew, what about you? Do you feel hopeful about the Church of England, the future of Anglican Communion? Uh, certainly deep, deeply hopeful about um, Anglicanism as this historic expression of the Christian gospel. Uh, it's been very influential a, a, around the world in planting churches and growing Christians for, for hundreds of years. Um, and um, I think that expression of the gospel is going to continue in some form. Um, it's, it, uh, it may not be within the Church of England. Uh, it may be in, in many other ways. Um, but um, the, the gospel will always continue eternally. Um, and I think this, this Anglican expression of the gospel um, has a lot of life in it yet. Susie, do you agree? I, I'd agree with Andrew, and I think uh, I, I'm not the historian, but it feels to me that we are perhaps going through a, a, another Reformation. It seems about every 500 years uh, the church gets shaken up, and it seems that we might be going through something of that, where uh, the church is called back to the basics, back to the to the uh, Orthodox faith, um, and out of that, whilst it can be very messy at the time, um, can come great growth and, and great glory to God. Hmm. Let's pray that's the case. Amen to that. Amen to that. Well, thanks so much, Susie, Andrew and Rico. It's been fascinating hearing your thoughts and chatting this over. Grateful for your time and your and your reflections. And thanks everyone else for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, bye-bye. That's it for this week's Premier Christian Newscast. But if you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do leave us a review on whatever podcast app you use. And why not also tell a friend about the show? Don't forget to also subscribe to the podcast on your phone or tablet to ensure that you receive each episode automatically sent to your device week by week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Premier Christian Newscast. 